0: You messed up that one. You wanted to become a brilliant professor. You were kicked out of that. I gave you every chance. You went out to California. You're going to put them all right about everything out there. And what are you now? God, you're not even an associate. The lowest form of animal life in the diocese. They actually had to invent a new job to keep you out of mischief. That doesn't require the power of the priesthood at all. What have you to show? He's right. I feel awful empty. Failure. Rejection. All that good stuff. All because, he said, you've been going through life ever since you were a child with a ghastly illusion firmly planted in that poor diseased brain of yours, you've been going through life with the illusion that the God who made you has put you into this world to achieve. That's what you really think. That's what that house that you've been raised up in and worked for makes you think. That's what this whole insane society that we're all a part of makes us think. You are here to achieve. And that illusion is the source and root of all your fears, your frustrations, your sense of failure and emptiness and not worth and futility, of every damn thing that's gnawing and eating away. all hope of any sense of well-being in your life. Oh, I said. So, I'm not here to achieve, huh? I'm here to loaf my way through life, be a near do well, and get by with as little output and effort as possible. Jimmy said that's an extraordinary philosophy of life. It happens, he says, that it's the only Russian, sensible philosophy of life, true philosophy of life. You have not been put here to achieve. Well, if I haven't, since you know it all, please tell me, tell me, what have I been put here for? Ah, he said, I thought that's what you were supposed to be telling us, that you got from that stream of awareness going away, way back to you (laughs) nowhere. There's a bastard, that fellow. <laughs> I'll tell you, he said. You see, you went wrong at the very beginning. All of the first breath you drew. When you were a little toddler, you went along to the nuns, free school, prep school, wherever the heck. And you had a little penny catechism, hadn't you? A little penny catechism. And what was the first question in the catechism? Who made you? Ah, God made me. You went wrong from the start. Right from the start. And the second question was, why did God make you? The questions were wrong. And so the answers were wrong, naturally. God made me. When you popped out of the womb the way you were towards the seed things, you could have put a little stamp on your little bottom and said, Made in Ireland. Yeah. Made in the USA. Finished product. Huh? Finished product. He hasn't even started working on it yet. He's still trying to make you into what he's trying to make you into. If you'd only let him. You are not here to achieve, you are here to be his achievement. You jackass. And we could only. Settle for being that. Oh but God. you would be the happiest human being on the planet. God made us. God is working on us. Right here and now. As busily as he was working on us. When we were in our mother's bodies. And he was putting us together so carefully. To make us come out physically healthy for a start. Oh God, how good you have been. What a marvelous, what a marvelous creator and maker. Thank you, God, for having set me up so beautifully for my head that I never think of thanking for two healthy eyes that I didn't make, but you made. He's still working on it. Making trying to make us each of us into an image of himself, so each of us to image him in some unique way that no other would image him in that way. To make us reproduce deep, deep, deep in our very being, his kind of lovingness and his kind of lovability. And when he has Succeeded in doing that. You'd be the happiest human being in the world. And you can become a loving and a lovable person. With God's kind of lovingness and lovability. Sweeping out restrooms. It's true. All my emptiness. What is causing me to have this feeling? All my failure. The conviction that. I have to achieve. Get out of his way. Get out of his way, you jackass. One of the great mystic saints, saints who saw God and experienced God this side of the grave, the saint who founded this Carmelite order of monks, St. John of the Cross, he saw a vision of God chipping at a block raw block of marble. Chipping, 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 chipping. Making it into an image of himself. To be a masterpiece. To be something he can address and say, This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Something he will delight in, be proud of. <coughs> this is what's going on in our lives, surely chips and chips and chips and hurts and takes things from us that we think we can't live without, to make us selfless, to make us not obsessed with self at all, obsessed with pleasing him, pleasing him and being a source of enrichment to others. It will all happen the way it's meant to happen. There's so many billions of things we have to get to realize. I wish to God I had another month to tell you the billions and billions of things. God wants you to be aware of, to live in the light of, to find out the truth of for yourself. But he'll tell you, if you have that quiet time. Really have it every day, every day. Where are those promises? What page? Hmm? Huh? 84. Eighty-three. Listen to them again. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we'll be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom, and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to close the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity. We'll find out for ourselves what that word means, and what it means for me will be different from what it means for you. You will comprehend the word serenity. We will know peace, the peace that God gives. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. The feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away nor does the wisdom of that, the way he puts it, self-seeking, wanting what I want, will slip away. You'll never get rid of wanting what you want by grimly grinding your teeth and saying, I must stop wanting what I can't stop wanting. You'll never stop wanting what you can't stop wanting by wanting to, however much you may want to. It'll slip away. The wisdom of this book is beyond belief. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. If he's going to reduce us in our material or financial welfare, well-being, if he's going to reduce us in it, he'll give us what it takes to be content with the less that he wants us to live with. We'll be happy with less. That's the miracle that he'd work. Our people who have lived this program, they'll tell you, we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? And here's the only question... Uh, statement in the big book that I totally disagree with. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. Well, if you can find anything more extravagant than all that, please let me know. But they are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we look for them by going to meetings and sharing. By reading the big book, by doing business with our sponsor, honestly, and listening. And above all, by having our... I think you've got the message. Step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics. And to practice these principles in all our affairs. Twelve Stepping. I think the first thing I want to say about Twelve Stepping is this. Twelve Stepping is as much an ingredient for our own recovery is as much an ingredient in the prescription for our own recovery as any one of the other 11 steps is. Nobody must ever say, 12-stepping is not for me. 12-stepping is as much an ingredient in the prescription for my own recovery As any one of the other steps is. To omit it is to omit something that is essentially necessary for my recovery. For my experiencing of what I called in the beginning, you may remember, the package. You remember what the package is. Sobriety, sanity, emotional serenity. The capacity to enjoy life a day at a time, regardless of what's going on or not going on, and conscious contact with God. Twelve-stepping is as much an ingredient in the prescription for bringing that about, those five things about, as Any single one of the other steps is. No one may say, 12-stepping is not for me. Listen to what the book says. Practical experience shows that nothing (coughs) will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. Nothing will so ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when all other activities fail. So there are times when all other activities fail. When you get into the bag, when you're feeling the blas, the blues, the futility of it all. There are times when no amount of going to meetings, no amount of reading the big book, no amount of doing business with your sponsor, and even no amount of quiet time will get you out of it. Twelve-stepping will, when nothing else will There are times when we've got to get off our duff and find somebody who's hurting. And that'll make you forget about yourself, which is always the root source of all our personal troubles. Obsession with what I want. The sight of another alcoholic hurting, hurting, hurting unless you're subhuman altogether, will automatically evoke compassion, the longing, the wish, that you could yank him out of that bog he's that sinking in. You'll always have a mood change. So this is our twelfth suggestion. <laughs> Carry the message to other alcoholics. Now I want you to notice something you may not have noticed. Not once so far has either the chapter on 12-stepping or the formulation of the 12th step itself talked about other alcoholics who still suffer. Not mentioned once. Twelve-stepping, true, authentic twelve-stepping, is not restricted to twelve-stepping, still-drinking, active alcoholics. There are other kinds of alcoholics besides, like recovering alcoholics. And so that's the point I want to make. It's only the traditions that talk about alcoholics who still suffer. That phrase is nowhere in the twelfth step itself. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these eleven steps, we try to carry the message to other alcoholics. Come on. And There are two kinds of other alcoholics aside from our own selves. Recovering ones and not yet recovering ones. 12-stepping commits us to carrying the message to either kind. We're truly 12-stepping in carrying the message to recovering alcoholics as to non-recovering alcoholics. Now, how do we carry... The, by the way, what's the message? It's dreadful to go running around the place to deliver a message and... Well, what's the message? Would anyone like to suggest what the message is? There's a lot of different messages here. You see what I mean? See what I mean? You'd better get the message straight. It's two words, and each word is one syllable. Bill makes sure, Bill Wilson makes sure that he knows who he's dealing with. <laughs> he doesn't want to do too much of a strain on our memories. The message is, it works. Period. What's it? The thing called AE Which is, I told you already, two things. A fellowship of men and women who share with each other. And a series of things to do. Put those two together. That's it. It works. The thing called AA works. What's the proof that the message works? Where's the proof? The messenger is the proof. Look at me. Let me tell you about me. That's what you go to do. To deliver the message. And you are the vindication, the validation, the substantiation, the living proof of the validity of the message. That's 12-step. And you 12-step recovering alcoholics. How? By going to meetings. And by sharing at meetings when you're invited to. And when you're sharing, don't just share the disease, share your actual experience of what you actually experience remedying your disease. And share all the things that you're experiencing, if you are experiencing them, remedying your disease. It works. It. What? EE e. does the fulfillment of the twelve steps does. Not forgetting. Quiet time. You don't have to preach. You just have to say in all candor, simplicity, casually, what I do when I fulfill this eleventh step. You know, there will be people there who never have quiet time. Who never fulfill the 11th step. Who will never inherit the package. You don't preach. You don't put on a pious, phony manner about it. Just matter-of-factly. And it'll dawn on somebody. Gee, you know, I never do that. This carrying the message. Sharing your experience of the remedy, remedying you in all wonderful ways. Each one of the steps. You know, sometimes I've been at meetings, and honest to God, you would think that everybody there had taken a solemn vow, not to mention the name of God. It might turn someone off. I mean, there's poor God doing the whole damn job for us. <laughs> Don't venture. Don't venture. <laughs> Poor God. But for no. God's sake, don't preach. Don't preach. Leave that to me. <laughs> just be honest, that's all. Don't preach. Just be honest. Casual. Candid. Transparently truthful. That takes time, carrying the message by sharing, sharing our experience of the, our disease, being remedied by this AA experience. We carry the message by being willing to be a sponsor. To be a sponsor. What is a sponsor? A sponsor is a confidant someone we ask to help us with our program. Someone that we identify with, someone we trust, someone we discern as someone who is acquainted with the program, knows the program, and has some kind of evidence that they are trying to live the program. Not saints, not saints, no. A sponsor is not a a shrink a sponsor is not a financial advisor. A sponsor is not a marriage counselor. None of these things. None of these things. A sponsor is a, a person with two lobes to his brain. With one lobe of his brain, he listens to what's being confided to him by a fellow AA. He listens with compassion, with concern, with honest interest. And all the time he's listening... He's scanning the program at the other lobe of his brain and figuring what area of that program is relevant to where that person is at as you perceive them through what they're sharing with you. That's all. You simply funnel what you think that program has to say to where your pigeon or baby is at. Always with the understanding up front that I may be wrong. All you're, you're not giving advice. You're simply saying, "Well, now I think what the program has to say to you, in those particular conditions and circumstances you've been communicating to me, what I think the program has to say to you is this, or this, or this." And I may be wrong. I may be wrong because perhaps I'm misperceiving where you are at. Perhaps you yourself have not really succeeded. In making plain to me where you're at, perhaps I'm misunderstanding the program. All those perhapses have to be taken for granted by both sides. And a a sponsor is simply once again delivering the message. It, it, it. The message is it, it works. This program of ours works. ...works to, a, to, to, to solve your problem. Being a speaker at speakers' meetings... ...is twelve-stepping... ...carrying the message. Uh, the, all I would say about that is... ...we need to be... Uh, ...we need to be prudent... ...about uh, beginning the business of being a speaker... Because if you're what they call successful as a speaker, you're going to be stuck with it over and over again. You find yourself on the circuit in no time. And with that kind of a a prospect looming on the horizon, you do need to be circumspect. I was not circumspect the way I started being a speaker. I was only a few months home from the treatment center. I lived here in Upland at the time, and as that's where I started going to meetings. And somebody got the flu or something before the speaker's meeting, and others had found out that it was a joker who uh, is well up, well used to standing up and speaking to the folks and telling lies. <laughs> so uh, they asked me to bung up a hole, as usual. Then I did. And these secretaries of these speaker meetings are very mean. They have a secret conspiracy among themselves and they phone each other
1: and they they blackball
0: some ones and they promote other ones. And so I found myself billed awful quickly for being a speaker at a whole lot of meetings awful quickly. And my sponsor got to hear of this. He called me. He left me in no doubt that I was to get away from that podium immediately until such time as he told me when. He was perfectly right, of course. You're up there, he said, lying in your teeth, looking for the big laugh, all that carry on. No way, no way, no way. You're destroying yourself. A massive ego trip. Of course he was dead right. You need to have a home group. Each of us should have one particular Usually small group, where we're really, really known to every one of the guys or guys and gals in, in the group. And it's a kind of an extended family. has to meant to be, should be. You all have each other's numbers. Each one has your number, and they all have your number. And you uh, do things together, apart from going to meetings and so on. You do happy things together. A kind of a little... Uh, <clears throat> A little AA within AA. You know. And your group members are the one, and your sponsor should help you to make your mind up when you're asked to be a speaker, whether you should take it on or not. There's nothing to it, so long as you're able to <coughs> stand up on your own two legs and share, like you share, sitting at a meeting. Uh, it helps if you're Irish, of course. <laughs> But uh, you don't have to be an orator or any of that nonsense. The more, the more casual and conversational you are, in my opinion, the better speaker you'll be. And it is a wonderful thing to share yourself and your experience of what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like for you now. To share yourself with others. And it can, needless to say, enhance or bring about their recovery. Now, that's all I want to say about carrying the message to recovering alcoholics. And all of us, all of us have to be 12-steppers. If we're not doing it for active alcoholics, we must make sure we are carrying the message to others other than ourselves within the recovery, brotherhood, fellowship, whatever. To be zipped up, to be withdrawn... To be nursing your sobriety and keeping it to yourself and not sharing it with others is fatal. You will lose it. you lose it. You certainly will not inherit the package. Don't forget what I started out with. Practical experience shows that nothing will so ensure immunity from drinking as talking about it to others and what it did to you and sharing with others what the program, in its mysterious wonderfulness, has done for us all. Well, now I'm going to say only a very few words about 12-stepping active alcoholics. If you, it, it, it's not for everybody. I think I should say that in all honesty. Some of us are put together in such a way that <clears throat> somehow or other uh, it could be counterproductive for us. Uh, If you're a nervous person, uh, as I was, I was a very nervous person at first, very nervous. You see, you never know what you're walking into. When you're walking into a, a, a caller who wants to be helped, they say, this disease is a monster, don't forget. You might be walking straight into a homicidal maniac. You mightn't come out of it alive. That's not just possible. It's more than just possible. The real danger is always there. And anyone who's nervous of going in the middle of the nice, night uh, in answer to a call from central office has reason to be nervous. And so it takes, it takes a certain type of character. And don't be, don't, don't be forcing yourself to do something that God may not be wanting you to do. That may not, you must admit that in honesty. Now, how to make ourselves available for twelve-step calls? Well, phone central office. Let them have your number, your name, of course. What day or days, and even what hours of the day that you are available for twelve-step calls? Be perfectly explicit, and they'll. In our place anyway, they'll have it on. It's on your terms. And they'll keep it on file what your terms are. What particular days or nights or days and nights and what particular periods, time periods of the day. And then, of course, when you're called, honor your commitment. Also, there's all the various uh, prisons and hospitals and treatment centers that they may be welcomed in. I go to a number of those. And, uh but the last thing I want to say is a very simple thing, but very necessary. I found it necessary when I started answering 12-step calls. The world got around, down in San Diego, not long after I started to live there, that there was a drunken priest in the group or groups around about, and I started getting calls from all sorts of people who had this idea that because I was in the job, I mean, that I had some wonderful way of helping alcoholics. God. Anyway, and I would go, you see, there was one particular case that really forced me to sit down with my sponsor and work out a policy about this thing. Because it can become a total racket, you know. And you can, spend, you can spend hours and hours and days and nights just wasting your time. And you need to make a policy for yourself. And what made me get around to realizing that was, there was a, a guy in the parish oldish guy, and he was quite definitely determined to drink himself to death. His wife uh, prevailed on him to go for treatment at one stage. And of course, when he went for treatment, she went on the family day and all that stuff to be helped to relate to him in this condition, and to go to al and all that so on. But she found out that alcoholism is a disease, it's a sickness, and so when he resumed drinking, when he went home from the, the what do you call it, the treatment center, she'd phone me and say, Father, he's, 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 a he's at it again. Will you come and talk to him? And of course I asked a standard question. Does he want help? How will nobody, he, he'll listen to you, Father. He'll listen to you. And this would be about two o'clock in the morning. And i tootle along there like a half-wit. And sit down and hold his hand when he had the sweats and the shakes and talk a lot of stuff that didn't go anywhere near his brain at all. And God knows how long I'd sit there, really just to humor her, and go back to my bed at maybe half four or five in the morning. And I had to be up at six to open the church. And I just uh, didn't relish this damn stuff. And yet, I couldn't come, I couldn't say to myself, let him rot. And so I sat down with my sponsor. I said, what is the normal, sane, rational way of handling this kind of situation? And he helped me to think it out for myself. And here is what I made my policy. The founder of Christianity, in his great Sermon on the Mount, which we as AAs are, I think, encouraged to read, It begins with what's called the Beatitudes, and the very, very first of the Beatitudes. And this, what's reported now, is the very first time the founder of Christianity opened his mouth in public. And his first words were, Blessed are the poor, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And when he talks about the poor, he's not just talking about people with no bank account. He's talking about the kind of human individual in such circumstances that when you come across him or her, you spontaneously find yourself saying, the poor, poor soul, god love him!" the poor are the helpless, the powerless, the victims of life, utter tragedies and misfortunes, the poor soul. Blessed are the poor, the powerless, the helpless. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. If you who are evil, selfish souls, automatically feel compassion, the longing to help, to relieve, how much more your heavenly Father does. When confronted with the poor, the poor alcoholic who's smitten with a disease, like a beast that has totally overpowered him and is destroying him and killing him, making him obnoxious, making him self destructive. No one is loved by a loving God more than that poor soul is. And so, you just carry the message. If they tell you in no uncertain language where to stuff it and to get lost, it's okay. It is okay to die of alcoholism, of drug addiction, of whatever our own foolishness has landed us in and destroyed us. It is okay. Anyone you come across and you find yourself saying, poor, poor guy, go back to bed, go asleep, don't feel guilty, it is all right, everything is all right, it's God's word, he's in control, don't ask me, don't ask yourself, don't ask anybody. Why God lets terrible, terrible things happen to people, I don't know. I do know one thing, that when he does, he has something up his sleeve. He is going to make something come about as a result of it. That will be simply marvelous beyond our imagination. Think of Good Friday. It was horrible. His own son. And then think of Easter Day. God saw all the things that he had made. The things that we think tragic, calamitous, meaningless, catastrophic beyond all exaggeration. The Holocaust, AIDS, broken homes, broken hearts, broken lives, victims of violence of every kind. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Every time you find yourself saying that poor, Poor soul. And then, why, God? Why? It's okay. Blessed are the poor, the victims of it all. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. There's no such thing as a fruitless 12 step call, there's no such thing as being confronted. But what makes you wish to God (laughs) that you could yank them out of that terrible situation? It's good to wish that. God can and will do it in his own time, in his own way. Not your way or my way. And it's okay. Leave it to him. Leave it to him. You won't have that whole approach unless you're having your quiet time every day. You won't experience frustration over any 12-step car. You'll just experience an immense gratitude to God for your own good fortune. And an immense trust in his mysterious, mysterious ways. Whose thoughts are not our thoughts whose ways are not our ways. The conclusion to the whole thing is simply this. All alcoholics and drug addicts go to heaven when they die. Non-recovering ones go to heaven when they die. A poor, poor soul Beloved by God. They have a through ticket. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. None recovering alcoholics go to heaven. Or recovering alcoholics go to heaven when they die. You wouldn't be recovering. As you are. Unless God has his arms around you. Breathing into you. What you cannot generate inside yourself. And you know it. to enjoy life, not drinking, if you're really an alcoholic. The miracle, the proof that you're being empowered to do something you're powerless to do, is staring you in the face every time you look in the mirror, and can shave without your hands shaking, as it did so often. See you guys. But the big news.